when you're in the role of DevRel, a lot of the times you're working fairly independently, which means that in terms of code review, you don't get that peer feedback, which is really important to being a developer. The idea is just to encourage and try to reach developers where they're at. A lot of the times as DevRel, you are an engineer, but you're kind of distanced from the product because you're very external focusing. Not to say that you're not technical, it's just that you're focused on like the community. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, I've got Divya. And Divya, actually, I don't even know your last name. I, I failed to actually grab that. <laughs> um, it's Sussy Daran. Okay. Well, I know you as uh, Short Div on Twitter. Yes. Yes. Excellent. So, yeah, having you come on because you're a developer advocate at Netlify and going to talk about that and maybe talk about your, your work and view as well. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and tell us why you're here. Yeah. So, um, my name is Divya. I work on the DevRel team at Netlify. And we're calling it developer experience now because it's pretty encompassing past like just conference talks and blog posts and so on, because we're starting to focus on the actual developer experience of how people use Netlify. So integrations with the CLI, with I think we're working on other things that other platforms that people can use Netlify on and various things like that. And so the idea is just to encourage and try to reach developers where they're at and try to make the experience of using Netlify as, as great as possible. Okay, yeah. I don't know if um, how many other companies are sort of taking this model and like, quote-unquote, developer experience yeah. uh, as opposed to like developer relations or evangelism. Sounds like they're all like in the same bucket. Oh, yeah. Um, but I saw something like very recently, you saw that on Twitter, where you're rotating as engineer on the team as well. Is that true? It is. And this is a new thing that we're doing at Netlify because the idea is that a lot of the times as DevRel, you are an engineer, but there's always this like distance, you're kind of distanced from the product because you're very external focusing. Not to say that you're not technical, it's just that you're focused on like the community and how other developers are using the product. And so you're not working as much internally with the team. And so there's always this disconnect that happens. And so we talked a lot about that and how we as developer advocates or DevRel people can also work internally with the team and try to foster that connection because it's really important to do both, to be effective in the role. And one of the solutions we came up with was doing a rotation. So it's three months, you get to join the team, you're essentially working just side to side with the product team on their sprints, working on picking up issues, various things like that. And so it's basically you're switching teams for that three months. And the idea is to foster that connection to the rest of the team, as well as to sharpen your skills. Because when you're in the role of DevRel, a lot of the times you're working fairly independently, which means that in terms of code review, you don't get that as much. You don't get that peer feedback, which is really valuable for if you want to improve your skills and like maintain that team dynamic that is really important to being a developer. And so this rotation helps address all of these concerns that we've had. And this is something that Sarah Dresner, she joined the team in May. And this is an idea that she had because she'd noticed that at Microsoft, where she was working with the, the developer advocates there, that disconnect. And so she wanted to bring an initiative that could actually foster that connection that we so crave. 
Yeah, yeah. I like that idea too as well because I, I, my day job is DevRel uh, as well. And though I do do a bit of coding uh, at my job at GitHub, we have a very unique developer relations program. It is very true where I don't get peer review mm-hmm. on anything. So any of the stuff that I work on, no peer review. Most of the projects yeah. I work on are one-off example applications that don't really need testing. Yep. Um, I do try to emphasize testing and CI and continuous delivery as part of the stuff I touch, but it's actually not a necessity. Like As long as I can talk on stage or do a workshop on something, yeah. that's about it. So I'm curious, uh, as far as developer experience and your expertise, like, is there a corner of the product that you're focusing on, or is it this uh, this general like you pick up some bugs or you pick up a, a feature that's sort of on the outskirts? Yeah, so we have different teams within Netlify. So the product team is composed of various smaller pieces. There's the front end team, there's the back end services team, there's the API team, and then there's also the CLI team. And so you, when you move and do these rotations, you essentially can pick the team that you want to work with. And generally, it tries to match the skill set that you already have. So a lot of the people on DevRel, we tend to be front-end developers. And so I'm on the front-end team at the moment. I could also be on the CLI team if I choose to, but I chose to be on the front-end team just because I wanted to do that for a while. And I know a lot of the folks who are on that team, and I wanted to have foster that connection and work with them directly but essentially, yeah, you get to pick, and you should pick because then you get some kind of direction. Because otherwise, if it's haphazard, the point of a rotation is lost. And so the idea is you join the team, you're pretty much a part of the team, you're in stand-ups, you're in whatever retros and sprint planning, everything like that, so that you can understand how exactly the product cycle works within Netlify. Cool. Yeah, so I'm curious. You mentioned your drawing towards front end. I'm curious to hear more about your background and how you got connected to Netlify. So, yeah. for the, my understanding, you came through the Vue community. Is that correct? I did. Yeah, and I was working a lot with Vue. I recently, well, a couple of years ago, switched from React, and so I gave a talk at ViewConf about a year ago. <laughs> it feels longer. <laughs> Time is a construct. I know. And so I gave a talk about moving from React to Vue and a lot of the concepts that carry over between the two. And Matthias was there, um, he's the co-founder of Netlify, and so was Phil Hawksworth, who's on the DevRel team. And so I met with them while I was at the conference, and they were like, hey, we currently have a DevRel team of one person, because at the time it was just Phil. I think you had just left at that point. Yep. So they were trying to grow the team, and so they basically said, would you like to join the team, or can we talk more about this? And so we had a conversation, we tried to see if this would be a good fit, and it was. And I love Netlify. <laughs> and so I was like, this is great. And um, I would love to be part of a team that, of a product that I love a lot. That's, you know, such a great opportunity. And so that's kind of how I started being a part of Netlify. And then, yeah, so now you're on the team. Have you indoctrinated the rest of the team on going towards Vue? Or are you yeah, so leveraging <laughs> Sarah? And it's a slow. I know you also hired uh, the, the GitLab guy as well. Yeah, too, as well. Jacob Schatz. It's a slow yes. role. So Netlify's product is built in React. And it's a decision that was made before my time. <laughs> and so a lot of the product and a lot of the developers at Netlify use React. And I think I was one of the first few people, probably the only person at Netlify who used Vue and I joined. And then I got a couple of people on the product to kind of be interested in using Vue. And then from there, conversations started about moving the doc site to Vue, which is, so it's, it's a slow roll. And then Sarah Dresner joined, who's a part of the core team. And she talks about Vue a lot and does a lot of the demos 
when she gives talks using Nuxt and Vue CLI. And then Jacob Schatz, who was at GitLab, is also a huge part in the Vue community. And so there's, there's this growing trend, which is really nice, of people at Netlify who use Vue in terms of whether Netlify will will like move to adopting Vue totally. I'm I'm not quite certain what that would look like because that's going to be hard. I know that Netlify itself, the product moved from Angular like a couple of years ago to React. And so I feel like moving to Vue would be a huge step and a lot of work that might not be, like they're both great frameworks. They do the same thing. And if there's really no reason to move besides developer ergonomics, then why? Yeah, that's actually why I was when I was hired at, at Netlify. I sort of brought the the last leg of that conversion from Angular to React. Yeah, uh, I spent years touching a lot of backend stuff and switched over to front end. My my previous job before Netlify and was exploring React and then came through because my experience of Angular and React to convert yeah. the rest of the the product. Yeah, or the actual dashboard itself. It's a huge undertaking, but it's also because the way Netlify is set up. Literally built on the Jamstack. Yeah. To have V3 or V4, whatever they're going to call it for Netlify, the actual product itself, sort of have a parallel or A B test of view. Uh, it's funny how trivial it actually becomes at that point where. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you're going to have to rewrite a lot of components. And that's like my experience was when Netlify was way smaller. Uh, so it wasn't as much to convert. So it's a much bigger lift. But if someone took like a weekend or their Fridays or uh, maybe a, a couple months to rewrite some of those components in Vue. Yeah. It's interesting how you could approach that nowadays if that were to happen at Nullify. Oh, completely. Yeah. So your closeness to Vue, I'm curious. I know Evan uh, recently had a couple tweets around the new version of Vue. Yeah. Uh, so community backlash around that, maybe some yep. community love around it. Uh, I saw more of the negative than the positive. What's your take on sort of the future outlook of Vue and the future versions? Yeah, so Vue 3 has been an ongoing conversation for a while. So the community was aware that Vue 3 was going to come. We just don't know when. And so that was a process that's been ongoing. Like at ViewConf this year, Evan talked about Vue 3. He talked about Vue 3 last year at Vue London and um, Vue Toronto. So it's it's been happening for a while. And They've been doing an RFC process, which is very similar to how React and various other frameworks do it, where they talk about specific APIs that will change and how they will change with specific examples. And so there were a couple of RFCs out. Mainly the Reactivity API was, I think, the big one because Vue was, from a high-level perspective, moving from using getters and setters to proxies. And so the way that Reactivity works would change because there were certain caveats to using getters and setters that will be fixed in Vue 3, which is really good. Yeah. So, what do you say? Proxies? Are you talking about like observables? Is that the same construct? Yeah, it's the same idea of like observables okay. and proxies. Yeah. And so that conversation about reactivity, everyone knew that change was happening, but there were also conversations within the core team that were happening about how they wanted to expose that reactivity. So there was this idea that was bouncing around called view hooks, and hooks was this idea of emulating what React was doing with hooks, which is encapsulating logic. So you don't have to have a component instance. You can have reactivity and everything kind of isolated. And you can use that without having to have a component instance, essentially. So lifecycle hooks, whatever, but without a component. And so the thing with that is that that was an older API. So that was last year. Sarah Drasner wrote an article about hooks, which was really popular. People were like, this is happening. Vue is starting to be like React. So that was like a conversation that was happening. But what we were talking about just in terms of like the controversy is that Vue re- released a new RFC, which basically consolidated a lot of the previous RFCs, and they called it like the functions API, 
or whatever. And in the Functions API, they were going to change the way that people would interact with Vue or write Vue. So the syntax of Vue is going to change slightly. And then along with that, there was also this idea of having separate builds. And that was pretty much the crux of the debate because if you looked at the adoption strategy section, it's not there anymore because it's been changed since. They talked about a compatibility build and a standard build. And the idea is that generally we were moving towards not supporting the 2.x. So everyone would, the compatibility build would support 2x, so all the older features or the older API and syntax. And then the standard build would not. And so that, caused a huge furore online because that indicated to everyone that Vue was deprecating everything moving forward. So yes, Vue 3 would still have the compatibility for all the syntax, but there's a likelihood that Vue 4 will not. Okay. And so that was kind of like the huge fear in the community. In a nutshell, that's what happened. <laughs> and then Hacker News and Reddit just went insane. Yeah, so is that really the case that Vue 3 is like going to be the transitional version and the Vue 4 is going to have extremely breaking changes? Is that where we're still heading towards? So that has been reversed since. That, so that was basically what that RFC was, and then it's been reversed since, and there's been a promise made to the community in the new updated RFC that 3 and 4 will not be breaking changes, which I think also is... There's many interpretations of this, because I think that making promises to the community will bite you in the future when you're like, I want to make this change, but oh wait, I already promised the community I wouldn't. So you can't make that back step anymore. And so Vue is in this conundrum where they're like, they promised that they won't change anything. So Vue 3 and 4 and maybe 5 cannot have breaking changes, which is kind of difficult for them. Maybe it might be difficult, but there won't be any breaking changes. But essentially what's happening now is that there is going to be two ways of doing things. There's um, the functions API is still the functions API. They're trying to call it the compositional functions API to make it a bit clear. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's very, it's verbose, but they don't. Yeah, naming is hard. Yeah, they don't want to call it hooks because they don't think it's clear enough because hooks is like in programming, there's a reference to hooking into like a lifecycle hook or events or whatever, which is not what a hook is actually is. And so compositional functions is the idea of composing functions together. But it's a, it's a mouthful. So in terms of marketing speak, not, not too great. But it is a paradigm shift because the idea is that you are still creating like your single file components. You have like all of the logic, whatever, component instances. But the idea is that you're taking away any reusable logic. So I think the use mouse is a really common one where it's like you're handling where the x and y coordinates of a mouse. React uses it, Vue uses it a lot as the example. When you're like, oh, I'm like hovering over something and I want to grab the x and y coordinate for whatever reason. So the logic for grabbing that x, y coordinate can be extrapolated into like, in React, they extrapolate it into hooks. In Vue, they extrapolate it into, they call it a compositional function. And so that's essentially the role of a compositional function to take reusable logic so you can use it elsewhere. So is there plans to have a migration path is what I'm getting at. Yeah. So I recently upgraded a project that was on Webpack 1 yeah. all the way up to Webpack 4. Yeah. Uh, 4.388, I think, specifically. Yeah. And uh, it happened to be a project that I cared about, but I just, for time reasons, I never had the bandwidth to go and like update it, add new features. So I had found the bandwidth a couple weeks ago, 
And then the upgrade process was pretty challenging, to be quite honest. Yep. But once I got out of 1.0 and got to 2.0, that's when the Webpack CLI really started kicking in. And I was able to upgrade and sort of leverage some error-driven development and have some contiguous delivery. So like I was my project was on Netlify. So if the build succeeded and it was like on, like I could see it on Netlify, then I knew I did something right. Yeah. Uh, mainly because I didn't have a lot of tests. My tests were very simplistic. Yeah. So there were a lot of educations I wasn't covering. But the fact that I could tinker with it in the uh, staging environment made it very easy. So my cur- I'm curious if like Vue is going to have the migration path, or is it even necessary now that they've sort of backtracked off the RSE process? Yeah, so Vue generally, like looking at the past processes of Vue 1 to 2, has had a really good migration strategy. So their docs cover in very painful detail, but it's a good thing. They go in detail on how exactly to migrate and how exactly the change from one version to another will look like. So there's a lot of side-by-side comparisons. Even though there's a lot of negative sentiment towards the RFC, the RFC does show that. So it does show like, this is what you would do in Vue 2 and this is what you show in v- you do in Vue 3. So there's that side-by-side comparison, which I think is really useful for a developer to understand and tease apart how exactly the, the paradigm shifts between two versions. But there's also this idea of how exactly to make that migration as seamless as possible. And I think... The decision to make that build compatible through future versions is also taking that into consideration because future versions of Vue will still support older versions, which means that if you were to use, I don't know, lifecycle hooks in 2x, and if 3x changed the naming of lifecycle hooks or whatever, it would still work in both instances, which is nice because then you can leverage future versions without having to upgrade all of your application. Or you wouldn't have to like have two versions of Vue running, like two and, and three, because they're not like, I don't know, all encompassing or whatever, backwards compatible. And so in terms of that, I think that's something that they're really cognizant of. Just making that migration path as seamless as possible. Because the moment you make a radical change, let's say if you're like just completely deprecating something like Python did with two to three then it becomes a huge pain point for developers, which could potentially move them off of using that platform or that framework altogether. Which I think, in the case of like, I don't know, Python, you wouldn't really have that because people are like, what else am I going to use? I have to learn a whole new programming language. But with Vue, that can happen because there are so many frameworks to choose from. And so the moment you're like, oh, we're going to change the API, it's going to be really painful to migrate, then people will be like, then why don't I just move frameworks completely? Because it might as well be completely different. And so I think that's something that the core team in Vue is very aware of, that they want to make sure that people moving from one version to another don't feel like they have this like completely impossible task of having to migrate and that they have to do it all at once. They can do it in pieces. I was going to mention this as one of my picks, so but in the context of our conversation right now, I'm going to mention it now. So I'm curious, have you heard of the the product Dependabot? Yeah. Or product similar? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah so there's like a, the idea of dependency management is like it's a it's a problem. I literally just had an entire an hour long conversation around the Rails app that we have at GitHub. Yeah. That wasn't touched for six months, and there's vulnerabilities and there's like problems and upgrading. So. Things like Dependabot, what they do is it, it basically it takes your repo and it looks for either your package JSON or your RubyGems file and looks for any vulnerabilities or also any new dependencies. So like if there was a hotfix or a simver version, it opens up the PR and then within the PR it tells you exactly what changed uh, as far as like the change logs as well. So it's pretty nice, but it's making the the idea of like migration to the newest version or migration to whatever 
if you happen to be asleep at the wheel or really mm-hmm. in the feature development and not really update your your project, it gives you the opportunity for it. And I I love it because I just explained I went from Webpack one to Webpack four on a single project based on using Dependabot. Literally, that's all I did. Yeah, and uh, it's helped me also revive like my, my personal blog, which wasn't building locally for the longest time. For whatever reason, it worked on Netlify, but locally it just was not working. It turned out to be a bundler issue because it's, it's a middleman blog, so he was using Ruby Gems and Bundler. But I didn't know that, and I didn't have time to really look through why my blog was failing. So I was just using Netlify CMS to push my new changes in my new blog. It worked in, in production, so I just kept going that route. Uh, but because I updated old versions and security vulnerabilities, I was able to fix my local build by just doing that process. So I'm curious of your thoughts and future development, because you work for a continuous deliver and like potentially a CI company that as long as your your changes work and are deployed on Netlify, like there's that continuous delivery like aspect. So future development purposes and engineering, uh, what are your thoughts on dependency management and like some of these tools? Like Dependabot's one of them. Uh, I forget the names of the other ones that are out there, but there's, there's countless numbers of dependency management tools. Yeah, definitely. I think Dependable is actually one of the ones that we use a lot at Netlify because, like, for instance, we, we released Netlify Dev recently and we were trying to manage like NPM versions and various things like that. And Dependable has been the one that's notifying us of certain changes, versioning that's happening within the project itself. It is annoying because it messes up with your commit history slightly because you're like, la la, and then Dependable is like, committing or you see those like messages from Dependabot and so it's not as clean a history if that's something that you care about. Yeah. But it is really nice for that ability of making sure that everything is in working order without you having to feel like the task of upgrading is so huge and impossible to accomplish. So is it someone's role on the team to merge those Dependabot PRs or is it part of your regular engineering cycle to upgrade the version of Vue or the CLI of something? Yeah, I believe currently it's part of like, it's an individual task. So with Netlify Dev, we don't have a dedicated team to it at the moment. We're currently hiring CLI engineers and we're trying to make that a bit more clear cut in terms of what exactly gets worked on there. And so Netlify Dev is pretty much like developers just picking tasks and we're trying to work on it. So DevRel team works on it and then within the team as well. Is it open source as well? It's open source, yes. Yeah, so there's like open issues and various things like that. And so there's a lot of like wrangling that happens within that project. Yeah. So maybe not not the best example here, but because of the fact that it's open source and because of how unique that project is. But in general, with dependencies um, within Netlify, it's it's not an ad hoc process. There is a, a sense of like, a decision on how exactly to manage dependencies if that version upgrade needs to happen that ends up in the sprint and then someone works on it and because we ultimately don't want to break things. So if we move NPM versions, we don't want like a project that has been deployed on Netlify that's on an older version of NPM to like suddenly break. And so that's a bit more carefully done versus like an open source project, which is a bit more ad hoc at the moment until we can figure out like a better process for that. Cool. So yeah, before we transition to picks, this was a great conversation. I, w- I wanted to actually get your your take on Netflight Analytics as well. I know it was a, a recent ship uh, in the last few weeks. Yeah, can you give like the uh, what's the elevated pitch on on that feature as well? Yeah, so Netflight Analytics is something that we introduced recently. Matt introduced it at Jamstack Conf London, and it's this ability to show like Netlify sites the analytics, so page views, unique visitors, bandwidth, and so on. Just any analytics that is related to your site within Netlify itself, because we already collect that data, so 
we are just presenting you the data <laughs> that we currently have. And the nice thing of that is that you don't have to use like external JavaScript to do that. So if you're using Google Analytics or any other analytics software, you don't have to do that. Or pixel tracking or cookies or anything else to count visitors and figure out unique visitors, bounce rate, et cetera, like th things like that. We have that information. And so we're providing a way for people who are already on the platform to use that or to see that data really easily. So out of the box, you get like the numbers and then you don't have to worry about your site performance because you're not adding external third-party scripts. I think there's also a, a fear in general. Like this happened when we released analytics, people were like, oh no, Netlify is like, I don't know, violating our privacy, which is, I think, a misconception. We already have that data. <laughs> and so we're just giving yeah. that data back to you. It's not like we're collecting more. And it is like GDPR compliant. There's, you know, there's a lot of, we're making sure that privacy is maintained. We're not sharing your data with any other external parties. Am I correct in the assumption since Netlify owns the CDN portion of it? Is that where the data is? I'm not trying to get into the secret sauce of how this works, but uh, since Netlify itself is a CDN, you know who's visiting the site from which location. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, that data comes directly from the server-side logic in the edge nodes. Yeah. And so we all, like that data is not parsed by anyone else. It's on our end. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty novel, um, and it's pretty powerful for Netlify to know have the insight to yeah. know that this data exists or this data is actually trackable and manageable uh, without the extra use of all these other extra tools. So yep. I guess we'll leave it there, and definitely listeners check out Netlify Dev, Netlify Analytics, and uh, as well as Netlify itself. But I do want to transition us to picks, if you don't mind. These are jam picks, things that we're jamming on, things that get you going. Uh, this could be like music, food, tech-related. I had already jumped into my tech-related pick, which was Dependabot. I was blown away. I, I've known a Dependabot for a while, but I've never worked on somebody yourself. I haven't been on an engineering team as a DevRel person to really yeah. leverage something like this, to dependency management. A lot of my projects tend to be short-lived. Like six months, I work on something, and then I move on to the next thing because I've got something else to talk about. But this was great because I was, I was able to revive my open-source project as well as my blog just from... Like going through the motions and finding out what dependencies needed to be updated. So that was my pick. I do have a second pick, which is pastelitos. So pastelitos are like these pastries. They're almost like croissants, but they're... Honestly, I don't even know if they're fried. But if you happen to go to the Netlify offices in the dog patch, there is a bakery downstairs, and they sell... They're not open Monday and Tuesdays for whatever reason, but it's Wednesday through the weekend. They sell guava pastelitos for like two twenty-five. But when I first started working, they were like less than $2.00. I'm not sure why, what's the deal and why they're so cheap, but guava paste is like super cheap. So you can't tell by my voice, but I have a Cuban background. My grandma and my mom were born in Cuba. Oh, cool. So my aunt, who basically raised us, raised us like our first like five years of our life, we would spend time at her house and she would make like this guava paste on crackers with cream cheese, which is exactly what they have inside of this uh, pastelitos, which is guava and cream cheese or some sort of cream. I'm not really sure. It's San Francisco, so it's got to be like some organic goat cream or whatever. But um, anyway, what I'm getting at is they're amazing, and they sell them all over the place, uh, not just in San Francisco because it's not a San Francisco treat. That's rice aroni, by the way. <laughs> um, so if you see pastelitos, just grab them. If you see a guava water, if you have to be next to the Netlify office in the daytime, uh, grab one of those too as well. And Divya, uh, if you want to go ahead and share your picks. Yeah, totally. So I have never tried a pastelito before, so I've, like, I, I've never had it in San Francisco. I've actually had it in Miami. Okay. They have like a really good, it's like pastelitos de guayaba. Okay. It's what you're talking about. 
and they are delicious. Very, very good. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to like go on that same like food train first before I go on my like programming pick. But there are these pastries called facturas and they are like Argentine pastries, which is because Argentina is influenced by like Italian and a lot of European, they have European influences. And so their pastries are very European. And so facturas is, is like basically their version of pastries and it's very delicious. They're very hard to find, unfortunately. But they have like media lunas, which is like croissants. And you can get them with like custard or sugar or dulce de leche sometimes. Absolutely delicious. Unfortunately, so hard to find. I have found so far in the US two places. There's one in Miami, obviously. And then there's another that's in New York, near Queens, in Elmshurst. That's a place, I think. So you have to go like pretty far out and then you'll be able to get them. So that's my pick for food. Very delicious. On the same vein as pastelitos. Uh, (laughs) And then my second pick is because we've been talking a lot about view. There was a post that was posted when the RFC and that that whole controversy happened called views darkest day, which was on, I believe, dev two. And it's a really good overview of what happened as well as how the RFC will change the way you would write your view code or just introducing the RFC in a way that is a bit more palatable. Because with RFCs, a lot of the time, it's very verbose. People don't read everything. They don't understand what the meaning of all of it is and the implications. And I think that article does a really good job of breaking that down. And it's one of the few out there that cover View 3 and like this particular RFC. Cool. Well, hopefully... uh... Listeners will check it out. I know Swix, who works at Netlify, lives in Long Island City, which is Queens-ish, I guess. It is Queens. So yeah, next time I see him, I'll have him try to smuggle me some facturas from this random uh, bakery (laughs) in Elmhurst. Yeah. So Divya, thanks for chatting about Vue and catching me up on Netlify things. And uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 